0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. This is episode 74 with Dr. Vince Hill on Backcountry Drinking Water. We should be good to go now.
0: <laughs> um,
1: okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll redo this intro a little bit. Um, I, had, I had mentioned to you that because this is a, a fishing podcast, normally I get people's background on fishing, but because that doesn't really apply here, uh, if you could just go over again what what you brought you to the CDC, and um, you were also telling me about how how you got interested in water specifically with the CDC. So um, go ahead and run me through that again. <laughs>
2: Sure, sure, sure. So yeah, so I, uh, since high school, I've always been interested in uh, environmental science, um, engineering, and, and, and um, you know, kind of those topics. Uh, and so um, I just, you know, in college, uh, you know, was in an environmental engineering program, and uh, had some projects that were around uh, water treatment, um, and, uh, and you know, wastewater microbiology and things like that. So I've always been kind of interested uh, in water and wastewater treatment, uh, and then uh, practiced as an engineer for a few years, but then um, went actually to and got training as, a, as a, my PhD in environmental sciences and engineering at the School of Public Health at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and um, and that really got me really interested in the, the public health aspects of water and wastewater uh, treatment and then focusing on water quality, safe water practices, and things like that. Uh, so. Fortunately for me, was there was a position here at CDC, uh, and um, and I just really just enjoy, um, you know, think, talking to people about safe water practices, how to make water safe, water treatment, um, and, and related practices around uh, safe water and hygiene.
1: Now I heard you originally on the Huntback Country podcast, which is how I got ended up getting in touch with you, um, and. It's it's interesting because a lot of times when I'm hearing about uh, safe drinking water in the backcountry, it's in the context of somebody who is doing that, not from kind of the actual uh, CDC wastewater that side. So, do you have a specific experience with backcountry drinking water, or is this just something that's applicable across um, disciplines and so it doesn't really it, it doesn't really pertain to um, you know one one area versus another more so just what's in the water and how it's treated. Like, is that is that kind of universal? And is that why uh, you were able to speak to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, so there are certainly general principles about <clears throat> what can be in water, you know, filtration, disinfection, how to make water safe. So whether it's a drinking water system or you're out in a backcountry, um, those kind of general principles about the microbiology of water and treatment, et cetera, are, are all there. And so we can we can talk about those in, in more detail um, you know, I, I would say, you know, we we and CDC, we do have because it's such a common practice. I mean, we, we want to make sure we have guidance that people can use to kind of fit the application or questions they have when they're going about their lives, um, daily lives or when they're out recreating. And so we know that hiking, fishing, backcountry, you know, um, recreation are are really popular and they're really healthy and just wonderful things to do. And so when people are out doing those things, they may have questions and they do about, you know, um, it could be hygiene practices, it could be food safety, but for us right now, talking about water safety, uh, and so we do have specific, if, um, if anybody's interested, they can go to our um, search, whatever your, your search um, uh, engine is. I think if you do CDC backcountry water, you can probably find our, our webpage that has a lot of the, you know, filtration, disinfection guidance, and some other kinds of, um, you know, hygiene and safe water practices for this kind of general area.
1: Do you folks receive a lot of questions from people who are like, hey, I want to go backpacking and I, I want to know how to drink water safely? Is that Does that make up a large proportion of what you receive?
2: Maybe not direct questions. Certainly, maybe a little bit broader when people are traveling. Oh, okay. So if you think about yeah. being outside of your normal area, I'm outside my home, you know, whatever, I'm I'm traveling internationally often comes up. Uh, or if you're, you know, traveling recreationally within within the United States. So basically being outside of where you're used to. Uh, and what do you do, can, you know, how do you, you know, how do you, um, do you, can you trust the water? If not, how do you make it safe and et, et cetera. So we get that more broad, you know, set of questions, but we certainly get outbreaks of um, of disease, waterborne disease related to backcountry settings, park settings, et cetera.
1: Interesting. And, and you mentioned like, how do you know if water is safe? And I, I sent you kind of three general categories I think I want to talk about today. Um, and that is water quality and location. like. You know, I think people maybe have a misconception that oh, this water looks really clean, so therefore it's clean, um, and obviously that's not the case. But um, you know, how does that compare to water that looks very obviously dirty? Um, so that's kind of one one topic. Um, the next one I wanted to cover is what what is in the water that's causing the problems, um, and then third is you know how do you fix it? Filtration versus purification and things like that. So maybe a good place to start would be just where water is and how it looks and how that affects how safe it is to drink. Like, if someone's going out in the woods and they they come across some water, what considerations would you give that person as to deciding what to do and and what might be in that water?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, what's important to remember uh, first, you know, is that there are many sources of water contamination. Um, So including some things are naturally occurring, um, naturally occurring toxins um, that can be from, you know microbes that occur in the environment there can be chemicals that are naturally occurring based on the geology of wherever you are so arsenic fluoride you know these kinds of things can just be naturally present um and of course local land use practices so you know fertilizers pesticides if you're in a farming area you know, all those things can be in water but also of course thinking about you know fecal contamination uh feces from wildlife uh, birds, deer, other kinds of animals. Of course, if there are um, farms with you know cattle and other things as well, those can get in there. Frankly, people uh, and their septic systems, um, you know, can can get into uh, natural water bodies. So there's all sorts of sources of these kinds of contaminants that are out there, and you can't necessarily rely on just your visual, you know, observation of uh, you know to really say whether the you know water is safer or more risky.
1: When I I know you mentioned like lots of different things there, and I think what comes to mind for a lot of people who are recreating outside is um, the, I I don't know if it's viruses, bacteria, what what category each of these falls into, but, you know, I'm going to eat some sort of microbe and it's going to make me sick. But you also mentioned things like heavy metals, which is not something that um, I think a lot of people think of. Um, Is that a big concern when someone's, you know, walking through the mountains and comes across a mountain stream? uh, Or is it more, are we talking more about the eating some little bug that's going to make you sick?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, and and I think it's a matter matter of you know what you can do also to 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 you know decrease your risks of you know of of getting sick from from drinking you know uh, natural water. So um, you know a lot of the filters or um, uh, or water treatment methods products that are available to you know hikers you know uh, backcountry um, uh, recreation um, it are are really kind of geared towards removing microbes. Um, So, you know, they'll have a certain filter size, pore size, et cetera. Um, Or they'll have, you know, there's a disinfectant there. So they're really kind of geared towards the microbes. Um, So chemicals, that's a little bit challenging uh, to you know to, to to deal with now. If you have a household water filter, um, you know there's you know reverse osmosis, there's ion exchanges, all these kinds of things, but those tend to be bigger systems. And you know I don't think there are many, if any, uh, water you know c- common water uh, purification products that are available to backcountry recreation. You know uh, rec- people going backcountry that that really kind of work on those. So it's really yeah. So I think you can do what you can do to make water safe and usually that's around filtration and disinfection to kind of you know make it safe from the germs that might be there
1: in the case of something like a chemical or heavy metal if if they are present in the water is that something that you could detect like you know i picture or or, or is it worth avoiding water that you know could be contaminated with these things like i assume you know if you if you see a mine draining out into the into the creek you don't want to drink from that <laughs> creek but is there any other sort of visual clue that you could say Hey, not, not related to microbes, but related to actual chemicals or metals, is there anything visually you can see in water that would make you say, I'm not going to drink from this source, I'm going to go pick something else? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. So, you know, clearly there are, there are some visual signs of water contamination, including water that's colored or cloudy, uh, water that may have a sheen on its surface, um, and water containing sediment or floating particles. Um, So, you know, that type of lower water quality that you can visually see like that, um, you know, may actually make it more difficult to effectively treat the water, you know, if it's particularly, you know, um, cloudy and got a lot of particles in it, et cetera. But I would say, you know, certainly those are visual signs. Um, and another area that we work with here at, in, you know, at CDC and my group around um, algal blooms. Um, and so I know a lot of settings, especially, um, you know, if there's a if there's a color to the water, it could be because there are algae or cyanobacteria that are present. And some of those may, may be harmful. And so it's the toxins that they admit um, that are actually what what cause harm. So I would say, you know, clearly if you're seeing green water or you know cloudy or whatever, th- that's the kind of water you say, hmm, you know, this is probably not the best water to use. Um, so hopefully, folks have you know um, prepared for those kinds of situations. So I think situational awareness is is important. If you're going into a really pristine area, you're probably not going to run into a lot of those issues with really cloudy water colored water, et cetera. Further downstream where where you you know you've rivers and streams are, are draining a larger landscape you've got more sources of potential contamination you know situational awareness would say this is probably a little bit risky, even if I can remove some of these microbes that are there, you know there might be some other things in there that my filter's not rated to remove that I should be worried about
1: right and I think luckily, most of the places that uh, at least people Listening to this show, or probably getting their drinking water in the backcountry, um, th- those aren't as big of, of a concern. Like I, I think the only off-color water that I've had and filtered is just like regular old. This water looks a little muddy. You know, maybe maybe it rained recently and there's some water washing in and it's just clouding up. But um, that's different than if I came across like green water. You know, that that, that would that would definitely um, put something off in my brain, saying maybe I should think twice about this Um, so we don't have to spend too much time on that I just wanted to cover it since it's something that I think people aren't thinking about as much as they are on the microbes but I do think the microbes are where we can move next because that's probably the the vast majority of what people are concerned about so what what kinds of microbes are in the water um, that people should be concerned about
2: yeah so there there are you know a a huge range um, of of microbes that can be in in water you know um, you know bacteria parasites viruses um, and uh, you know it's it's good to have some sense of the differences between them um, that can impact the kind of um, water treatment that you choose a product that you choose a filtration system etc uh, so we could go into some detail on kind of differences between some of those microbes and I you know so for the parasites there are you know some pretty well-known uh, diseases or, or are pathogens that are, are parasites that we'd be worried about. Cryptosporidium, Giardia. A lot of people, you know, know those those microbes and those diseases. Uh, bacteria it could be pathogenic E. coli. It could be, um, you know, other other microbes like that. Campylobacter, etc. Viruses. You know, there are enteric viruses. Norovirus is, is you know, a common one in water, etc. So, so those are kind of some of the names that people might come across when they're when they're reading about or concerned about water, water uh, uh, contamination from microbes. Uh, but first off, the, the, the kind of first uh, bigger class, uh, and, I, and I mean bigger by size, are the parasites. Um, and so um, they're larger than bacteria and viruses, um, not to get too technical about the size range, but four to like 14 mi- microns or micrometers. And I think that's actually important to know because I think a lot of filters that are commercially available might have like a one micron pore site. That's pretty commonly um, that you you come across that. And so those one micron filters are rated to remove these parasites. So they should be highly effective at removing these uh, these parasites. And I think that's really important because some of these parasites like cryptosporidium are uh, tolerant to um, common disinfectants like chlorine or iodine. So if you were just dropping in, you know, a, a chlorine tablet or drops or whatever that is, um, we can talk about bacteria and viruses. Those are generally effective against bacteria and viruses, um, but wouldn't be effective, really wouldn't be effective against crypto um, and even Jardia you would need really long um, exposure times or you know, times to hold you know, the, um, the water before you drink it. Um, and so the filtration part is really useful uh, for removing those parasites. Now, filters can also be effective depending on their, their pore size, their rated pore size for removing bacteria. So bacteria now are a class that are smaller than, you know, 10 to 100 times smaller than, um, than the parasites. Um, and uh, but generally speaking the disinfectant. so even if the filter doesn't remove the bacteria quite as well or you don't have a filter, you um, uh, chlorine tablets, iodine, these kinds of uh, chemical disinfectant products can be highly effective against bacteria. If you follow, again, always follow the manufacturer's guidance and really, really take that to heart. You know, go, oh, I don't feel like waiting a half an hour or whatever it is. You know, really take it to heart. There's science behind it. uh, And just, you know, hopefully you can and and, uh, people can be patient and and give it the full uh, exposure time uh, for the product to really work effectively. And then viruses are really the hardest to remove. Um, so um, one thing to note for filtration, because we might talk, wonder about kind of filter products. So uh, filters that call themselves ultra filters and are rated as ultra filters, that's a technical definition. Um, those should be effective in removing bacteria and, um, and, the, and, and parasites. Some of those ultra filters it depends on really how they're rated could be effective against viruses. But I think a lot of the common uh, water treatment filters that are available out on the market aren't necessarily rated to remove viruses because the pore sizes have to be so small that it takes a lot of force uh, and pressure, you know, to push water through those tiny, tiny, tiny holes in the filters. Um, And so that, you know, that means um, either, usually it means is that is that you, um, can't produce as much water in a, in, a, in a certain amount of time because it just takes so long and you get, you know, a relatively small amount of water that you can filter in a certain amount of time. So, um, so you, often the viruses might still be present. So I think we often look for, I think the best approach, if you can, if you can, if, you know, people can afford it and it's available is to do filtration followed by disinfection. Okay. If you can use those both of those pr- procedures, you'll filter out the big things and the things that might be resistant resistant to a disinfectant. And then, if you can disinfect the water, then it leaves a residual and it makes it safer in case you know it, it might any other contaminants gets introduced. You have you have a disinfectant that's still there present.
1: Yeah, that's really good to know. And I, I think we'll get into the actual um, you know cleaning the water side at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there may be a misconception that when you're filtering it, that everything's just gone. Like the water is just, you know, crystal clear. And remembering that the filter has a size and there's things that might not uh, get trapped by that is that that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, in terms of these three main categories, the parasites, bacteria, and viruses, um, you know, I think the one people hear about the most is Giardia. Is is the, is the there one category that kind of is the, the heavy hitter, um, the one that you're really focused on? Because you said that Giardia is a parasite. So are parasites kind of the big ones that, um, really cause the most problems, um, or they all do? They all kind of hit equally, and and what what happens when you get something like this? Are do you need to fear for your life? Do you get sick for a couple of days? Uh, do you really need to get medical attention? Um, just what's kind of the severity of what happens if you don't um, properly clean your water?
2: Right, right. So um, you know the, the most focusing on sort of the symptoms of waterborne disease. I'd say you know the most commonly reported symptoms are you know diarrhea, yeah. vomiting, stomach cramps, and fever. The, uh, these kinds of sort of usually self-limiting. So you, you, you've got it for a while, very uncomfortable, et cetera. And most of those being uh, relatively self-limiting. Uh, sometimes you can get other things depending on the water you're in. But I think for people who are fish. well, if you are actually in the water fishing, you know, and so you're, you're, your skin's exposed, sometimes you can have um, uh, either skin infections or reactions to things that are in the water. So that's always, so sometimes you can get rashes, and those kinds of things as well. So it's not always about the kind of gastrointestinal symptoms, but sometimes other, other parts of the body, if they're exposed, can, can be impacted. Um, even, you know, eye problems and things like that, if people are dunking their heads in, you know, we, we get reports of, of disease related to microbes that might be in water that have other ways of entering the body. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, though, you know, so for most of those microbes, you know, most of the viral and um, bacterial infections... You know within say 12 to 48 hours you might start you know uh, experiencing symptoms and usually it's those that you know i mentioned uh, th- that are self-limiting um, but some of the parasites one thing it might take a little bit longer to see symptoms so maybe a week to two weeks so the parasite that's kind of a hallmark of parasitic infections most of those also are self-limiting However, you mentioned Giardia. One of the things with Giardia is that it actually can um, last longer. Um, giardiasis can last for two to six weeks. Um, but actually, for some people, it can result in long-term complications, including arthritis, irritable bowel syndrome, um, recurring diarrhea that lasts years. I mean, so some of these can be pretty nasty infections.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's not something that comes to mind Like years later, even even with Giardia. When I've heard people have cases, it's like i you know I felt really, really terrible for a couple of weeks, uh and then they get over it and the I think the thought of being stuck in that for a year just sounds terrible yeah, are there any that would be considered life threatening uh and, and obviously something like something like diarrhea could be if if you're stuck out there for a long time and, and didn't make it back for whatever reason, I'm sure that that could cause dehydration or something like that but is, is anything going to just acutely uh, affect you to a point that you don't, don't survive? Or most of these just really, really, uh, you just don't want them? <laughs> it's more
2: that you just don't want them. Um, and, and they're really, unco- you know, yeah. I mean, you're out there, you know, uh, enjoying yourself and potentially, you know, you could be getting sick while you're out. Right. Uh, you know, trying to have, you know, a good time with your family or friends or whatever. And so you've got that or you're bringing it back to your family and friends uh, and you don't want that either. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's for, for most of these. Like I say, they're self-limiting. Again, you can have longer, prolonged. Uh, infections with some of these microbes, um, but there are some pathogens that you know, and I think it depends, right? It depends on the pathogen. Some of these can cause bloody diarrhea. Some of the E. coli infections can get very significant um, in what in what they can cause, and so uh, you can have complications, especially for uh, you know the very young, uh, elderly, or people with weakened immune systems. So again, it, and even if you know, even if you who are recreating aren't in those categories, but then you're sick and you bring that back home, but you've got somebody in your family who's who falls into one of those more kind of at-risk categories, you know, you can get transmission to others and, and cause pretty serious illness in others as well. So, you know, just in general, you know, I, th- I think it's, you know, Assume the worst, you know. Not like you know. I, I. Oh, it's not a big deal. I can just get over this because you just never know what might be out there that you get exposed to, that maybe you bring home to somebody who might have a bad reaction to it.
1: Right. And is there is there any sort of um, different? guidelines of, around something like a spring, where you're seeing the water coming straight out of the ground? Because I know people talk about drinking straight from springs. Um, I tend to have a different view of those than I do of, you know, you just come across a stream in the woods and who knows how long it's been flowing and what's been walking in it upstream. Uh, are there different guidelines for something that's coming straight out of the ground?
2: So, not not really. I mean, yeah, uh, clearly there, there is that tendency to look at water like that and go, ah, I know it's source, it's coming out of the ground, etc., it looks clean. Uh, But looks can be deceiving, especially when we're talking about water quality and germs, because you just, you know, you can't see them. Um, So, you know, untreated spring water, um, mountain stream or lake water, you know, may look pure, uh, but it may be contaminated with bacteria, parasites, viruses or, you know, other other, some of the other contaminants that we've gone over. Um, So really, there's no natural water. Uh, source that you can say is 100% safe to drink without water treatment.
1: Right. Okay. Um,
2: There's always a risk from drinking untreated natural water. Um, Yeah. As as we mentioned, we already talked about, you know, higher elevations versus lower elevations. And there might be some uh, relative risk between those two. Um, But even if you're at the higher elevations and you're like, ah, this is mountain pure water, you know, really there's no 100% safe water that unless you make it safe.
1: Sure. And I'm sure you know, in your position at the CDC, there's no way that you can just say, yeah, that, that's fine yeah. to drink because that, that wouldn't be a good look. So it sounds like, you know, maybe one is relatively better than the other. But uh, at the end of the day, if you've got the if you've got the means to clean it, then just clean it.
2: Right. And have a plan. Hopefully, you know, you've you've made a plan ahead of time and you've you know, you, you can take action to protect yourself. Right. Just in case. Yeah. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady.
1: So uh, this might be a good time to transition then over to the actual cleaning of the water. Um, And there's a couple different uh, methods that I wanted to discuss. Uh, I know we've already talked about filtering versus purifying. Um, and I think those are kind of the two big ones that people do. But I know the, uh, the UV filters are also a big, or not UV filters, the UV lights are also uh, a really common thing that people use these days. And also boiling, which has you know, been around probably longer than any of these. So uh, those are the main four. If there's any others that I have forgotten, I'd love to hear about those as well. But I just want to hear about your opinions on those four and when they're best used.
2: Great. Well, maybe, maybe starting with the kind of uh, tried and true uh, old, old style uh, water uh, treatment method, boiling, uh, as you mentioned it, right? So, uh, you know, I mean, boiling has, you know, very high effectiveness in killing really all those microbe classes, uh, parasites, viruses, bacteria. If you get the water up to boiling, you're going you're gonna to kill them all um and so uh you know and there's guidance on this people can look at our website etc in general we recommend a roll rolling boil so you can see the bubbles and the the surface is rolling for about one minute and that really should do the trick um for for uh really anything and i think if you're at higher elevations you know and then you've got that kind of uh pressure differential you know uh versus sea level, then our guidance changes, um, just the physics of it, and we recommend three minutes. So there's boiling. Boiling is the most complete and comprehensive way to make water safe from microbes. Um, And so um, after that, would you, uh, we can focus on disinfection or, yeah, would you like to talk about disinfectants? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So chemical disinfectants. So those are the, you know, either tablets or drops. They they tend to be these halogens. So chlorine based um, or iodine. Although now I think there are some new products that are chlorine dioxide uh, based that people might uh, run into. So I would say with with each of those, um, the uh, the contact time is really important. So follow those manufacturers, you know, guidance on those, um, and. Um, there are, um, you know, different aspects of it that are really important, though. Um, you know, how how warm the to some extent how warm the temper, the water temperature is, although that's not a major factor for people to kind of keep a thermometer with them. But if the water is turbid or cloudy, that actually can impact the effectiveness of those disinfectant chemicals.
0: Oh, really? Um,
2: because yeah, the chemicals will you know it's a chemical reaction, so you know, if you've got other, you know, organic matter or other things, particles in your water that aren't your germs, then those particles are going to contact the chemical and, and, you know, there's going to be those chemical reactions. So that those chemicals, then less of it is available to kill the germs. So um, quite often, manufacturer's guidance may adjust for that. It may either say, put, you know, put twice the amount in, uh, as sort of a rule of thumb, or maybe you know a longer contact time, et cetera. so there there may be some guidance that even your products um, provide on that. Or they might just say, hey, i we we can't guarantee the effectiveness of this unless you've um, filtered the water or you know re- you know made it less cloudy or whatever.
1: so did those um, do those products uh, alter the um, palatability of the water at all? Like i I feel like I've heard people talk about iodine. I never actually use iodine. Um I tend to filter in UV uh, sometimes a combination, sometimes just a filter, but, uh, i I feel like I've heard that the iodine can leave your water with a, an undesirable taste. Is that, is that the case?
2: A little bit. I mean, you know, and chlorine as well. And, you know, uh, and, and so, um, it, it can, uh, to me, the, uh, sometimes that's the taste of, uh, safe water. (laughs) So if I I taste it a little bit, I go, okay, maybe it's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but uh, it doesn't taste like my water at home, but I know it's safe, uh, because I follow the guidance and everything. Um, but, um, yeah, it can. And I think iodine even changes, gives you a little residual color, like a little yellowing of the water. And that could be a little off-putting as well. Um, but there are no um, uh, health impacts for that. Although I think with, with iodine, uh, there are some, um, there's some guidance on, uh, certain folks, I think like pregnant women uh, and iodine, et cetera. So always read those, de- those, the, um, the directions in those kinds of chemical treatment products, just to make sure that you don't fall into a category where maybe it's it's actually uh, ingesting that chemical isn't good for your health.
1: That was going to be my next question is, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's gotten a mouthful of chlorinated water in a, in a pool before, and it's not pleasant. And I feel like sometimes if I've gotten enough of it, I start to feel a little bit nauseated. But uh, is, is there any, there's no uh, real health impact? That's just kind of a, you know, your body doesn't love drinking water full of something else? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think I think that's just sort of um, a, a reaction that people might have, you know, mentally okay. to like, you know, treating water. You're like, oh, I wasn't supposed to drink that. Um, so, um, you know, you, you, you don't want to consistently drink pool water. But I think, you know, up to, I think even EPI, EPA guidance is up to maybe four milligrams per liter of chlorine. So that's a pretty fair amount of chlorine. And that's for consistent drinking. So the little bit that you get from these these um, backcountry water treatment products, et cetera, are perfectly
1: safe. Okay, good to know. So then how about, um, I don't know if you want to do UV or filtration next?
2: Yeah, so for UV, um, so UV can be effective uh, for, you know, inactivating microbes um, against some classes of microbes, especially. So um, the thing with UV, so it can be effective against many, um, frankly, a lot of the parasites. So we mentioned cryptosporidium um, being um, tolerant of some of the disinfectant chemicals, the halogens, chlorine, and iodine, um, actually, crypto can be inactivated very easily uh, and effectively with with UV light. So that's good. Um, again, uh, bacteria can be inactivated very readily with UV light. Some of the viruses may have a little bit of resistance to UV. Um, um, so, um, so that's maybe one factor. But really, the biggest factor with UV is that you need the UV light to be able to contact the germ. To inactivate it again, back to the kind of same sort of a similar issue with with the cloudiness of water that we talked about with disinfectants. Absolutely, a factor with UV light. So if you if the water is colored, if there are other particles, then those particles can absorb and block you know the UV light from from um, impacting and you know uh, damaging the germs. And if that happens, then you're not getting effective kill of those germs. So um, Without a doubt, if if the water is at all cloudy or you've got particles, you really have to be a little bit concerned, or have to. You really should filter the water ahead of time and then UV it to, to kill microbes. So it's one of those that's a little bit iffy to use in the field that you really have to understand water quality a little bit better to effectively use it. But it can be effective.
1: Yeah, and that one's just convenient because it's it's pretty light and e- easy to carry. Um, I've got I forget what it's called, but the uh... The, the standard UV light that you use. And it's so, you know, you throw a battery in that, throw it in your backpack and it weighs a couple ounces compared to some of the filters that take up a little bit more space. Um, but that's also because most of the mountain streams that we have out here are pretty crystal clear. And that's kind of how yeah. I've gauged that. I tend to go back and forth between the filter and the UV light based on, the is the water I'm going to be near going to be clear or not? Uh, and if I'm going to be in places that have like a lot of glacial melt that are going to be kind of silty and uh, darker, then I'll take the filter because I don't really want to drink that water anyway um, when it's full of crap, <laughs> basically. So I'm sure we'll get to that with the filtering as well, uh, like when that makes sense. But uh, I kind of view the filter plus a UV light as almost uh, like bomb proof. You know, you, you might get the the full effect of both and have perfectly clean water at the end.
2: Right. yo that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I know with UV light, those tend to be For relatively smaller volumes of water that you're kind of personally consuming as opposed to a large volume that you want to have on hand at a campsite or or whatever, gallons of water. You wouldn't use UV necessarily for that Um, because in those situations when you do have a large volume of water that you might be worried, I don't know, hopefully people aren't, you know, dipping cups into their water like a bucket of water (laughs) or whatever, but... If you don't have a disinfectant residual like chlorine or whatever, then, you know, you, the water can get recontaminated from the environment or from your hands or whatever. But, you know, that's usually not an issue with UV because you're not making large volumes that you're storing around like, your
1: site. Yeah, I think my, oh, it's called the SteriPen. That one, um, I think you do it like a liter at a time. It's supposed to be stuck down in like yeah. a Nalgene bottle, and that's, I think, maybe they have yeah. a recommendation if you do a larger one to do it twice as long, but there, there's definitely a maximum. Like, you can't just stick it into a bucket of water and hope that it's going to work. Right. So, how about filtration? Because that, that, I think, is probably the most commonly used one, um, at least for people I know, is to carry a little filter around um, and maybe let's talk about when you would use a filter versus not and maybe the different types of filters and you know when they're good
2: yeah no that's great um, and so you're right they're so commonly used um, and there's so many different types that are available to consumers it can be a little daunting I you know I a while back I was looking at different kinds of filters and even I was getting a little bit confused as to you know the guidance and the ratings and whatnot that there's there's just so many different types out there um, uh, so you know I think so determining which type is most appropriate uh depends on you know kind of what you what functions you want your filter to provide um so because no filter we talked about this no filter is going to eliminate all contaminants um you know microbes chemicals toxins etc uh so um so it's important to understand what they do and, and do not do um so i think then focusing on the microbes again uh, you know, definitely try to use a filter that has a, a pore size that's small enough to remove parasites. And so that's the most common ones. will have a one micron pore size, you know, uh, rating, et cetera. Um, so there are, but there are more, you know, kind of modern or not modern, but, you know, recent kind of developments in filtration uh, that I've, I've seen that where they seem like they're very effective, they can be very effective for removing bacteria as well. And so I think those those can be really great. Those might be referred to as ultra filters uh, because they have a smaller pore size. Um, um, the one micron filters might be called micro filters if they use those time, those those terms at all. Um, but um, they can be highly effective against Cryptosporidium. They might be rated. People can look for an NSF standard, um, fifty three or fifty eight. And so if it says it's rated to NSF fifty three or fifty eight, that means they've been re- they're rated for the Parasite removal uh, or jardia, cyst or O-cyst removal. Um, but you know, they're not going to be effective for viruses if they, you know, even if they have that rating, because the viruses are so much smaller. Um and they might be somewhat effective against bacteria, you know, if they have that kind of NSF 53 or 58 rating. Um so so that's, you know, but I think that's when the combination of filtration plus another disinfection method uh really is is helpful. Um so one thing as well to note with the with the filters is um, there, there's probably um, guidance on kind of how to maintain them, and a lot of folks might you know you know you get back from a big trip and you don't necessarily want to put it through its paces to kind of you know put it back up on the shelf or whatever, but make sure you know follow those because I think if if water sits in those filters longer or what you know just just focusing on that uh you can get microbial growth you know bacteria and other things can grow in those filters and they can so potentially you know, i guess can clog those filters but also can damage depending on what the the filter medium is you know it could actually damage the filter so uh, i think making sure that you're taking care of your filters as well will make sure that the next time you go to use them that you can depend on them and they work properly
1: Yeah, that's another reason that I've kind of um, started to adopt the UV when it's appropriate. Um, You know, when I've got clear water and I'm just filtering a a bottle for myself, uh, just because those filters, they get clogged really quickly. And then you have to clean them in the field and they take a long time to use as well because they're starting to clog up. So you might be sitting there for 20 minutes, really pumping with all your might to get the water through. uh, And yeah, yeah, you get home and then you've got to To clean it off again um, it just seems like a lot more maintenance and a lot more hassle but of course there's times where it really makes sense especially if you've got that that cloudy water um, partially for the ineffectiveness of some of these other techniques but also because um, that will get all that stuff out so then you can actually drink clear water which is i think is a lot of a lot of people's motivation for using the filter is to to get nice clean tasty water at the end so um if we're if you're done with um filtration one thing I wanted to bring up that you mentioned was the recontamination of water, because that's something that I've o- occasionally hear happens to people. And it's always, it's always like in the back of my mind of like, is that drop of water on the, on the rim of my bottle? Was that filtered water? Or was that a drop that came from somewhere else? Uh, how, how big of a concern is this? Because obviously it can happen, but how much water does it take to make somebody sick or, or can make somebody sick? Um, and how could that, how could that happen that you could get a little drop of water on the on the rim of your water bottle, let's say, and that little drop of water could contaminate the whole thing like what's what's the reality of that?
2: Yeah, you know it's 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 hard to kind of you know give real you know um, direct guidance on that because um, it really depends on you know the water that might be contaminating what you have, you know your water bottle or your water container, you know. Where did that come from and, you know, what the quality of it was, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, in general, if it's a little tiny drop of something, you know, and it's rainwater (laughs) or something like that, that's, you know, not going to be a risk. You know, if your water bottle falls into the lake or river or whatever, then you might want to wipe it off, you know, before you go then to uncap Mm -hmm. it or whatever. Um, I, th- I think what, we'd norm- what we more often see with kind of recontamination of water is when the water is in uh, kind of an open, uh, like kind of large open mouth container that you can actually dip into. Um, that is classic, you know chance for, you know, an igloo cooler or something like that that might be out, you know, like a picnic or whatever, we often, those are often kind of get recontaminated because people are filling them from above and they're dipping into okay. it, or what, et cetera. Um, that's not typical, I would imagine, for uh, backcountry settings and fishing, et cetera. But uh, clearly you want to have storage containers that, are, that have a narrow mouth that can be sealed. Uh, and the, so the water you put in there, you know, there really shouldn't be any real meaningful risk of contamination. The other thing to note, though, is when you have a tap on a water jug, um, and so you've made your nice water nice and clean, and you've you've got a tap uh, to, to get your water out, the taps, those taps can get contaminated. So you might touch it with your hand, or maybe a rag touches it, you know, something that might be contaminated gets on the tip of the spout, uh, for these contain, you know, so it's not the water inside that got recontaminated, but the water delivery kind of container did, or the the, the valve, and so those have also been kind of you know causes for outbreaks and things like that um, that have occurred. So, you know, I think it's just being careful about you know your hygiene a- around the water. You've gone through all this work to make your water safe, and let's just you know be extra careful about the hygiene practices around that water that safe sure, water.
1: Sure. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. The the way it, the, um, situation that I've thought of is, is, I guess, mostly related to the UV and the um, chemical treatment. Like, say somebody takes their Nalgene and dunks it in the water and then sterilizes it, but they didn't get anything around the, the rim, like the mouthpiece. Um, yeah. And that kind of sounds similar to what you're talking about. Not, not infected in the same way, like maybe not as much about hygiene and how you're taking care of it, but just the fact that it, you could forget that not all of the water is in contact with whatever sterilization method you're using, um, and not to just then put your mouth directly on that mouthpiece and just suck up, you know, uh, maybe a a mouthful of water that did not get uh, treated by the chemicals or the UV.
2: Yeah, I would say in those cases, I mean, again, the relative risk is low, you know, a little bit of water on the on the lip of a bottle versus the entire one liter that you would then be drinking, mm. right? The relative risk clearly is going to be lower. Um, but, you know, I think in all those cases, it's just if you have a concern about it, you're like, yeah, logically, that water on the outside, I didn't treat it, you know, I didn't make that safe. So, you know, could you use a little bit of your treated water to wipe down, you know, if you've got a paper towel, whatever, you could wipe down the outside. Clearly, if, you know, you dunked into something, you could have gotten a little dirt on it, whatever, you know. So I think, I think trying to do something where you've, you've made an attempt to, you know, decrease the contamination potential on, on, uh, on the lip of a bottle would, would make sense. I would, I would feel more comfortable with that with me, but the relative risk is, is much lower, of course, because you, you know, you're talking about, you know, liters of water you're going to drink in a day. Um, and you just want to make, make definitely want to make sure that water that you're clearly ingesting is is made safe,
1: right? I think a lot of this ends up being kind of like a relative risk. I mean, if if you were just scared away by anything that could possibly get you sick, I think you'd have to bubble wrap yourself and stay inside. Um, and <laughs> now, I'm sure I've gotten yes. many many mouthfuls of water just being out. You know, maybe I trip and fall in and I take a mouthful, and uh, you know, I've I've never gotten sick from that. Not that that's a a good way to plan when you're th- thinking about drinking water, but. I think it's easy to to listen to something like this and then come out feeling like water is out to kill you. And anytime you get any of it in your mouth, you're just immediately going to get sick. And that's not necessarily the case.
2: No, I think that's a really good point too is, you know, you're doing your best, you know, I think have a plan, bring what you can, you know, out, you know, to make water safe and and have a plan there. Um, But, you know, be, be, be easy on yourself a little bit and, and, and not be uh, uh, freaked out about every possible drop of, of water. You know, do your best to kind of make water safe. But otherwise, people will feel like, oh, there's just no way I can remember all of this. Or, you know, I can't do it all. So what's the point of doing any of it? Like, we don't want people to burn out on the, on the yeah. messages about, you know, what you can do to at least, you know, decrease the risk. And so that's really what we want people to do is, is to take things seriously, to understand what the risks are. Do what they can to make it safer. Uh, but you're right. Go out and enjoy, <laughs> <laughs> enjoy while you're out there in, in natural world, fishing or hiking or whatever it is, and uh, not be all concerned you're going to get sick the whole time.
1: So with that in mind, this is a good way for me to kind of um, mention my last my last question, which is if you were going out and say say you're going backpacking, I don't know if you're a big hiker, um, but if you're going out and maybe weight is a concern, so you're not going to be taking a, a pot to boil and and a filter and a this and a that. Um, if you're going out and you want the best like safety to weight ratio um, and the kind of safety to ease ratio, what would you take to feel very confident that your water is safe um, while also not slaving away just to get one one drinkable bottle of water?
2: Yeah, you know, I think, I, I really do. I mean, I um, think that these, uh, the, the water filters and, uh, you know, kind of a, a, something to disinfect the water. I, I think disinfecting the water is really Pretty important um, because I, again, quite a number of things can actually get through a filter, depending on what kind of filter you might have. So I think having something to disinfect the water is pretty pretty important. So whether that's you know chemical disinfecting the tablets, it drops, or UV, you know, etc. You know, I think some, that's really important. However, we just we just know that you know you never know what water you might get you know introduced to or have have around you. So that the, the particles, the cloudy water, you know, whatever that might be. So I. I just think of, if you can afford it, you know, a water filter plus a disinfectant is the way to go because I think they're pretty light and, and you can manage that. But I know a lot of these water filters are not eaten. They're pretty – can be pretty expensive. So, you know, if that's a barrier to folks, then, you know, just make sure you can you, you can bring a, a water um, disinfectant that you trust and a container to hold it, you know, that you've got a good plan around how to, how to disinfect your water effectively. Um, that's probably – so that you're doing something to improve the water quality and protecting against microbes um, if, if there's a barrier to, you know, kind of these, these nice, very nice water filters that are out there.
1: Okay, so it sounds like water purification is kind of the, the top tier, but then if you can also filter yeah. it to maybe make it more palatable, maybe make it clear, or make the purification more effective, um, that would be yeah. your way your way to go. And if, if people filter and disinfect, you think that's basically 100% your i are probably not into saying yep. 100%, but you can basically treat it like 100% <laughs> safe.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the best approach is having, a, a, you know, that kind of dual uh, approach to to uh, water um, water treatment. You know, filtration plus disinfection is, is you know, yeah, is about the best most people can do.
1: Perfect. Well, yeah. if, if folks want to find out more, um, do you have any resources if, if people just want to learn more about what's in their water and how to get it cleaned up?
2: Well, I'd certainly encourage folks to uh to go to CDC's website. Uh we have um Healthy Water website. Um this there's a if you search for backcountry water, you'll get to this topic specifically. Uh but uh, CDC we've got a lot of resources on uh, on water treatment, safe water practices, hygiene related to, to safe water practices. Um if uh, if folks are uh Really interested in reading in more depth. Of course, we have we have scientific publications. Um, there's one that I I co-authored with um, uh, Howard uh, Baker or Baker B A C K E R in uh, Wilderness Medical Society uh, Clinical Practice Guidelines for Water Disinfection. Uh, um, and so, um, it's in the wilderness and environmental medicine journal.
1: Oh, that sounds interesting. I don't know how many people have <laughs> access
2: to that journal. Maybe, hopefully it's free online. I, I don't exactly know, but you know, there are various, um, uh, publications that we, um, um, that we, um, Work on that. Uh, talk about all these filtration, disinfection, perce- you know, processes and things like that. So that that's a very long uh, and uh, detailed article. That uh, if anybody's academically inclined uh, to really learn more, they can do that, or just go to our website. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of uh, resources there. <laughs> a little something for
1: everybody, maybe. <laughs> yes. All right, Vince. Well, um, I will let you get going. I know you've got to cut off soon. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Uh, hopefully, maybe this episode will save somebody from uh, a couple weeks of of extreme discomfort in the near future
2: I certainly hope so thanks very much
1: alright thank you alright guys thanks for listening Uh, don't forget to head over to the website fishuntamed.com for all episodes and show notes and also please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app that'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone and also if you have not yet please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review that's very helpful for me And I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening. And I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody.
0: Legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know. Right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome! Experience the best saltwater fishing the world
2: has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden
0: Boat Lifts every Thursday night from 7 to 10 PM Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.